Hello and welcome to the Long and Windy Road podcast. Our special guest is Renee Rigger, a registered clinical counselor and the founder of Free to Be Talks, a nonprofit organization that promotes positive body image. We get into a discussion about all things body positivity. But before we dive into that conversation, as always, do not forget to rate, review, and subscribe, as well as connect with me over on Instagram at Fearless and Empowered. Awesome. Let's go right into it. Wow. Today, I'm excited that we are inviting Renee to our Long and Windy Road podcast. How are you doing today, Renee? I am good. Thank you for having me here. Oh, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Honestly, I could not be happier that we're doing this sooner. I feel like being in social distancing has also blessed me in so many ways that I am still able to catch you when I know you're extremely busy and we can just sit down and have a great conversation about, you know, the appearance of media and body positivity and how we can encourage a lot of young girls and women to embrace their body. But before we dive in and I give all the juices at the beginning, tell me, who are you and what do you do? (laughs) Well, I am a mom Mm -hmm. and I am a therapist. I do private practice. I work with kids with complex trauma and I think I wear many hats. (laughs) One of those hats that is free to be and free to be is been a passion of mine for so many years um it started when i was a teen i had a lot of body image struggles and from there it it involved it evolved i should say but Mm -hmm. i'm not sure if you want to get into all that right now oh yes oh yes because the next question was going to be share your long and windy road story with us, but you've already started it. Go right okay, in. Okay, well, yeah. I'll just keep going then. Yes, please. So when I struggled with body image as a teen, and I didn't understand why I struggled with it, but I, I did. And I wanted to be a model. I even went to a modeling agency when I was, I don't know, 16, 17 years old. Mm. And... I thought what I wanted was to be a model, but what I realized later on in my life is what I want. I wanted what the things that models seem to have based on what I saw around me. And in my early twenties, I watched the documentary by Jean Kilborn, uh, killing us softly. And it changed the trajectory of my life. It really did. I say that very seriously because there's very few moments in my life where I've been on one trajectory and something has shifted profoundly for me. And watching that documentary did as it just opened my eyes to the nuances and the sophisticated layers and the packaging of how advertising impacts us on in so many ways. And in my undergrad then i started researching body image i had a fantastic supervisor who kind of let me go with what i wanted to study and so that really continued to cultivate that passion and then when i was doing my masters of counseling i was driving home from class one day and i was listening to the radio and i heard one of the vjs say on a really popular radio station it was in the fall And she said, oh, I'm so glad it's 
becoming sweater weather right now because now we're going to be able to cover up all of our weight gain for winter. And I turned off the radio and I was just dumbfounded. I was like, what? This is like, this is where our radio is at. And it's not that my head had been buried under a rock. I, I knew that's where we were at. And yet, but to hear it, something about hearing at that time just switched for me and it made me really angry mm-hmm. and it made me really frustrated because I had done so much healing in my body image journey, I guess you could say. And I kind of was thinking about my 12 year old self, my 13 year old self. And I was like, these are the comments that I am hearing on the radio. It makes so much sense why I would feel so bad about myself and why these ideas just keep getting perpetuated and reinforced. And so I went home, told my husband and I sat down and I wrote a blog post. Um, and I didn't have a blog at that point. And I <laughs> wrote a blog post about um, what, I don't even remember what the blog post was. It was something to something to the effect of um, how women are more than their bodies. It was something to that effect. <laughs> and I created a, a, a blog, po- a, a blog, a website, sorry, on um, WordPress. And it was like, it was called Bigger Than My Voice. <laughs> and because I felt like this was bigger than who I was. And from there, I ended up having conversations and writing more and researching, continuing to research as I went in further into my counseling uh, degree mm-hmm. about about body image and how it impacts us. And then I had the opportunity during one of my classes to create a rudimentary curriculum for a group. And so I did, I did a body image group and I ended up running it with uh, a colleague for grade six and seven girls in a school nearby where I lived. And these girls were volunteering to be on this, in, in this group. And from there, that group was so eye-opening because the same struggles that I had had 15 years earlier, these girls were having. And I would say even more because they were more pressures now with social media and just the, the ability to compare yourself at your fingertips all the time. Yeah. And from there, I approached my supervisor and I said, this is what's happening. Can I create a body image group for my thesis? And he said, well if you can show me in the literature that there is a reason for it, so you're not reinventing the wheel, then go for it. So I said, (laughs) challenge accepted, did a deep dive into the literature and emerged really with a couple of main points that were really important in terms of, I realized we needed to focus not just on pathology, so we can deconstruct things around us, but then how do we build a person back up again? How do we let them know that they're more than their body? What are the steps that we need to do? So really taking that positive psychology, positive body image approach, and then focus and focusing on strengths, like what you and I can do with our bodies, because we live our life through our bodies and our bodies are good, but we want to expand our view to be outside, bigger than just what our appearances are. Yeah. And then we also needed to focus on boys. <laughs> boys were up until that point had kind of been largely neglected. And so I learned a lot from a lot of great body image researchers that were out there. And then I create started to create free to be and run it with grade tens at first. And while I found it was effective, 
it wasn't a sweet spot because they were much, they were a bit older and they had a lot more ingrained ideas about their body image. So we started running it with grades sixes and sevens. And that really was a sweet spot because their bodies were starting to change and they were still really interested in these conversations. And so it was much more preventative at that point. Mm. And from there it just launched. Wow. And what's the mission? Like, you know, what's the, the mission behind free to be like, who are your target um, audience? Would you say, would you say the boys and girls, young kids in schools and what age range? So the program is targeted kind of between for, for young, uh, let me start that over. The program is targeted for kids between ages, you know, 10, 11 to 13, 14 years old, kind of that grade five to grade eight range. However, that really depends on kind of like the maturity of the class, the maturity of the child. And I always tell individuals though, the concepts that we have with free to be though, can be tailored to any age. I take the exact same mm. concepts and I talk to, to them about um, with adults, I talk to them with uh, parents because there's just, there's so much that we can continue to mine and we can just go in deeper into the nuances and we can have more legal room for discussion and there's so much that we can still talk about. Yeah, that's incredible. And how long have you been doing this? How long ago did you launch free to be talk I think we officially launched in 2015. And how's the process been so far? It's been a huge learning process, like really good, Uh, (laughs) but a huge learning process, like all good things are. (laughs) Yes, of course, because when you started a business, did you get that, you know, thing at the back of your mind that, you know, that, you know, critique or that self-doubt a little bit that tells you that this probably might not work? Like, what was the experience like in your head, like starting off a business? Did you have support, mentors and people you could talk to? I had never seen myself as an entrepreneur. Like I saw myself as a therapist. (laughs) And so I, it started as a blog and I loved to to write. And I, you know, to be honest though, I was a terrible writer growing up. Like I wrote the way I spoke, which was at the time just long and winded. And I had a (laughs) lot of learning to do. And I never imagined that this is what this would become. And my husband was really supportive. He'd seen a lot of my healing. He'd been really supportive. My parents were really supportive. But when I started, I didn't think that this is what this was going to be. And as it grew and I had developed this idea, mm-hmm. I reached out to Erin Trelore, who is on my board, and she runs Raw Beauty Co. She's based out of Vancouver as well, too. I'd heard her on a podcast. Uh, that my dad had sent to me while I was driving out to school. Cause I, go dad. <laughs> oh yeah, go dad. And he, and so after that, I actually just, I heard the podcast and I thought, this is my girl. And I emailed her and I said, this is what I'm doing with my, with uh, my research thesis. Maybe we can work together. So for the first year, we actually worked together mm. and free to be, the program was under the raw beauty uh, co-umbrella and then from there, Erin started developing a slightly separate vision, and I did as well with Free to Be. And so she remained on my board. But then we, I said, I became my own nonprofit at that point. Wow, that's incredible! How one podcast could lead you to somebody else, and you create a creation, and something good is born out of that. But yeah. that's amazing because I was always thinking that 
I feel sometimes I write the way I think. I just want to go back there for a second. And when he said it, I was like, you know what? This is my soul sister right there. Because, you know, I just, I it's very long-winded. But for me, I feel like I have to get my words across. And I'm writing exactly the way I'm thinking. And sometimes I write exactly as if the person I'm talking to is in front of me. And, you know, and then I look at it and it's like a whole page and it feels like a thesis in itself. And I'm like, you know what? It's fine. So I'm excited, Renee, that we are alike in this, in this, uh, yeah. in this world. So that's very good. Talk and to I, me. I think that's a good point because, you know, writing, writing and thinking coincide together. Yes. I think that it's, it's hard to think. It is really hard to think. And when you put your it words, is. like to think about the pros and cons of a situation. And so when you put your thoughts to paper and you mm -hmm. have to make it coherent, it takes practice and it takes work. And so it takes time to master that craft. Oh, yes, it does. It does. And every day is a walk in progress for me. But now I think I can. I've, I've learned, of course, to tailor it to when I'm speaking to someone regarding a particular topic or subject. I just try to get straight to the point. Or when it's about my friends or my family, it goes back to the old ways because at this point I'm like, hey, let me be loose a little bit. They have time. They can they can, they can read this. <laughs> but I want to dive a little bit deeper into your perspective about how social media is also impacting our youths. Can you just, you know, share your experience about that? How social media? Because I knew you uh, you wrote a topic or you spoke about this, and I want to hear it just. How you think social media is impacting our youths, especially women and their bodies? I think that that's a really layered question. Mm. And too often we're given a lot of band-aid answers that are like superficial and trying to address the nuances of it. Because the reality is social media is good and bad. It depends what you're doing on social media. It depends who you're following, what you're doing. If you're following like red pandas and kitty cats and food and you're really mindful of who you're following and you're not constantly reminding yourself about your body, then social media can be a fantastic tool to grow and explore and to connect with, connect with others. However, so often I think we go down this rabbit hole Mm -hmm. And that's due to so many, so many reasons, partly our human nature, we're wired to compare, we're wired to be connected to other people. And so we, depending on who we're following, that can have a really big, big impact on who we are and what we believe about ourselves and what sort of behaviors we engage in and what sort of thought patterns we have. Um, so it really depends on how how you're using social media and what you're what you're doing with it and then the other thing is that we didn't bring into this conversation yet is algorithms mm -hmm. and how the algorithms can will tailor content to to notice the subtleties of what you land on for just a second or two what you what you look at just a little bit longer and how that brings it up more in your feed mm. and and so it's it can be a tool for good or it can be a tool that can hurt you. Wow. I am glad that you mentioned the algorithm. I think now that you said it, it's finally tech because for me, social media has always been a red flag because when I was, I don't know, 16 years old and they had just, that was the days of my space. And I posted a video of a young Effie in Brussels singing 
and someone noticed the video and rather than commenting on the actual video because the, the, the text was, please listen and let me know what you think. That was not the response I got. What I got was, you look ugly, you're missing a toot. And for me, I'm 16, I'm excited. I've just put something out there for the very first time. I was like, this is hurtful. And it's then crushing. it's crushing. Indeed, it's crushing. I was in pain just reading it. And I was like, and it didn't stop there. A couple of people added because, you know, when one person starts the fire, you get a whole crowd who just thinks it's fun to actually like keep, you know, amplifying it. And in the end, I ended up closing my MySpace because I couldn't take it. I couldn't take it. It, it took away from the fun of what it was supposed to be. So for years, I saw social media as a negative factor in my life. And when I came back again, I wasn't mentally ready. So like you said, the algorithm sees what you put on and it portrays that back out for you. And I kept wondering, why is there beautiful magazines? Why is there images of people I have never met or don't even know about? Because it's sorting through what my eyes are seeing and what it feels like I'm engaging to or leaning towards, right? So, yeah. I think with social media too that we have to be so so careful with is it's one dimension and we we know that on the one hand as adults mm-hmm. however kids don't know that growing up they aren't born as their brain develops hierarchically which is the way your brain develops mm-hmm. uh, your prefrontal cortex is the last to develop it begins developing around the age you know 12 to like 25 or so and a lot of kids when i give talks they're on social media at eight nine ten years old but they don't even have the thinking faculties available in their head to interpret and digest what they are seeing around them. They have to be taught those skills. And I think that that conversation has been largely missed. And so what we want to do with free to be is show them, look, this is what you're seeing online. This isn't reality. Mm. And this is how you can interpret this. These are the tools that you need to understand what you're seeing around you because we aren't born with that ability and that skill set. Yeah. That's amazing. I love that because they, they need to hear, you know, they need to hear as a, as a, as an older sister to younger, you know, to a sweet girl. I very much lectured her about my experience with social media and how she should not see, you know, see one thing in there and take it into reality, thinking that that's who she needs to be like, or how she has to dress or how she has to talk or, you know, or respond to things, but to try to understand it or question it if it doesn't make any sense you know because that's the key question what you see if it doesn't make sense because it's okay you know it's it okay. okay and then the other thing is that i mean there's there's so many layers to this there's like photoshopping mm. or you know just photo editing where and that is going to impact what we see about ourselves there's a fair amount of research out there now indicating that if you engage in those sorts of behaviors you uh, your body dissatisfaction is going to be higher mm-hmm and how people are requesting surgeries to look like their their edited versions of themselves because it's a really dangerous game to play when you take a photo, you edit yourself, you put it online, you get a lot of affirmation, you get a lot of comments, and then you go look at the mirror mm. and you say, I don't look like that. You are comparing the real version of yourself, the version of yourself in the mirror to the altered version of yourself, and that's a lose, that's a lose-lose. Yeah. And, and, it, and it continuously reinforces this this value of our appearance and it brings our attention back to our appearance and we only have finite attention. And so if we are, if we are constantly having our attention brought back to our appearance, be that good, be that negative, we are going to develop highways like neurological 
highways, so to speak, in our brain that are going to make us think about ourselves first and foremost in terms of our appearance. And then we're not going to cultivate all of who we are. Mm. And we're going to end up being this, a more one dimensional person. Yeah. Because that's where we've invested our time and energy. But it makes sense that we have because we've been rewarded for that mm-hmm. through likes and comments and positive, so- seemingly quote unquote, positive, positive social interactions. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so good. Because if you look at it now, like you said, a lot of people look at that and they get surgery to look at that Photoshop image of themselves. How can we grow to then love our body when there's so much negativity out there and there's so much competition is the word I would say, because some people feel like it is a competition. It's a battlefield. How can we grow to love our body? What are the helpful tips or practices that you can give us women to try on a day as a, as a daily routine or as often as possible? The first thing we have to reconcile and realize is that developing a positive body image is a lifestyle Mm. and that has become ever apparent to me in the last year or two as I've continued to dive into research and read and other areas of my life. Um, I work, I study the brain, like I study child development and complex trauma and how that impacts development. And so really understanding on a neurobiological level that what we focus on is going to shape our reality and it's going to shape our wiring of our brain. And so if we want to grow all the parts of ourselves, we actually have to invest our time, our energy, our resources into things that are going to help us experience our bodies as good, as more than just their appearance, as as doing something in the world, because that's that's what we're here for. And we all we we don't feel complete if we aren't reaching our potential or striving to reach our potential but our potential isn't a ceiling related to our appearance it's about what you do how you interact with people what your ambitions are what your passions are and so um it's expanding the sense of identity mm-hmm. and it's also then putting up safeguards for what are going what it's going to protect you as an individual when you go out into the battlefield of our culture when you turn on social media because i i like i personally i very much limit my use of social media i haven't logged on in over a month um (laughs) or maybe even two months to social media i I'm very, very careful about what I do with my social media because I know that if I immerse myself in that, it's very hard for to pull myself out. So I have to put up safeguards. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a scale in my house because I know that that potentially could be something that might bring up old coping mechanisms mm. if I were to be in a place that was not good. And so, I mean, I think I have enough, I have enough, I have enough um, resources and things that I can draw on now, but I just don't even want to go there. I don't want my kids to go there. So we don't have a scale in our house. I've actually, I actually also limit the amount of mirrors we have in our house, which might sound ridiculous, but in a world that constantly draws your attention back to your appearance, I think it's important. There's nothing wrong with looking at ourselves. And I think our bodies are good and our bodies are wonderful and they're exquisitely made. But when you look at a mirror, you, depending on what the internal dialogue is, 
there can be a really strong inner critic. There can be uh, a tendency to body check. And so I don't want my kids to go down that road. Mm-hmm. And so we have mirrors in our house, but we, I don't have mirrors like everywhere because I just want them to be able to, I want them to be able to grow all the parts of themselves. I want them, their hair to get messy and their bodies <laughs> to get dirty as they play outside. And as I play outside too with them. Mm-hmm. Wow. That's really good because I think that's a, maybe not about the mirror part, but it does resonate with me in the sense that when I was in college and I was experimenting for the first time with makeup and you would think, uh, I, I go, I've gone years without even touching it. And, uh, I started wearing makeup probably the age of like 26, 27. And of course, boys were in the factory at this point, which led to makeup, uh, introduction. Um, but for me, I got a terrible reaction and I remember that the scar on my face was something that I felt like I would forever notice. And every time I look at the mirror, I would always look at it and be like, what was it worth? What was it worth? Like wearing the makeup, what was it worth? Because you were so inexperienced and it was so hard on myself. But what I promised myself to do was that after that period and I got better and I healed from the experience, whenever I put on my makeup at home, I made it a habit that what I left my house with is how I'm going to return. And I don't care. I don't care about if my makeup is smirching. If somebody tells me to my face, then that's great. I'll adjust it. But don't spend too much time looking at the mirrors outside of my home, like going to the bathroom, rushing. Every time I pee, I'm constantly there reapplying, you know, readjusting, looking at myself and just so consumed with how I looked and forgetting my actual talents and my skills and what I'm doing at work, the purpose of why I'm there. So I guess it's kind of like we all have a role to play and we all have a responsibility to react to our triggers. But first of all, we need to know those triggers, right? It's like you said, and we with live the in scale. a diet culture. Yeah. And we live in a diet culture and we don't, you don't even realize it until you start to, to heal from it. Mm-hmm. And you start to start, you almost, you put on different, le- a different lens of glasses and then you can see things way more clearly. But uh, like, we have to think of these multi-billion dollar industries, like, um, weight loss, the, you know, a lot of the fashion industry, well, that's changing slowly, um, fitness industry, like there's advertising a lot of it's prefaced off of people feeling insecure about their appearances i mean these are multi I'm mean, sorry let me even add the cosmetic surgery industry yeah yeah, yeah these are multi-billion dollar industries and so it it pervades our culture and so you have to put up safeguards you can't develop a positive body image Gosh. without protecting yourself yeah. from these influences because you're human and your brain is wired to pick up what's around it. Yeah, absolutely. But if I was to say, because there have been some people, of course, that have struggled with their body image, and if they come up with it and you've, you've been in your presence and you've seen them um, express, you know, you talk to themselves in a negative way, in your opinion, what's the best way to sort of communicate with someone like that who is struggling with your body image? The first thing to do is to listen, mm. just to listen, because they have these deeply ingrained ideas and beliefs about inadequacy, about shame. So before you try to fix anything, before you try to get into any sort of education, you have to listen to where they're coming from, why they're struggling with what they're doing. 
um, whether they've had some traumas in their life that they're trying to hide from in their bodies because maybe their bodies at some point never felt safe and then being immersed in our culture it it makes more sense as to why they would want to escape their bodies and so to be a listening space for them and to validate their experience because it's a coping mechanism it's mm. a coping mechanism that's led to to probably some unhealthy behaviors some unhealthy thinking patterns that they that they themselves are not happy with and they know that that's why they're telling you about it yeah and so to really to really engage with them and to hold space and that can take time and then I think one of the next steps is also just to provide some education about, hey, this is the culture that we live in. This is, this is what this makes sense why you're struggling the way you are, um, and what and makes sense why you relapse when you're stressed because when we are stressed, our bodies go, we our brains like what's familiar, and if we have familiar coping mechanisms mm-hmm. of um, hurting ourselves, whether and that's not a good one, but if if it doesn't matter that it's not good. It's familiar and our brain likes what's familiar when we're stressed. And so if we're stressed, we go to coping mechanisms like hurting ourselves or we are excessively exercising. Um, we can have that leaves space to have a conversation about that. And at the same time, that also leaves space if we are providing some education about a bit about the brain, about why our bodies are wired the way how our bodies are wired not why our bodies i don't know why our bodies are wired the way they are but how they're wired but then also um media literacy i think that's something that we think of media literacy for grade five six and seven i'm constantly learning new things like it there it's so so it's so nuanced and there's so many there's so many layers to continuously unpack and so to teach that and then to teach them and to and then to provide a space and to be a for somebody who who you can be almost like an accountability person with and mm-hmm. to say look I see so much more in you um why don't I show you that by like let's do things together that will give you that experiential knowledge that your body is good and your body is a place that can be safe mm. um and so, I mean, that's probably bringing a lot of nuances from my clinical practice into into this conversation, but those, <laughs> I think, are some of the parts. Yeah, but no, that's good because, like you said, education is so important because I think your, your expertise, your knowledge, and what you've had to learn as well in the process would be very helpful to someone as well who needs to hear that. And thank you so much for sharing it. But one thing I wanted to just uh, close off with would be you know, moving forward with free to be, what's your, what's, what's the vision like for that? What's the future look like for free to be and what are you hoping, um, it would continue to do for both boys and girls in the world? I hope it continues to free people from these limiting beliefs that they have so they can cultivate all of who they are. They can grow into the leaders that they know that they can be in whatever leadership role that is. And so we just developed a parent program and because we want to be able to equip parents because they're just integral to this conversation as well. That's available. Uh, We have the classroom, the classroom based version as well that teachers or counselors can use in the school system. It's been adapted for outside the school system for eating disorder, clinic populations, for 
health coaches, for psychologists have run it, um, but really to equip youth to mm. understand what they are seeing and hearing around them and in turn believing about themselves. And so they can take the good and they can have an armor against the things that are going to hold them back. And they can do the same for others because social beings and we are wired to connect. So there's nothing as powerful as having a community of people that all are sharing the same armor and feeling and, and feeling the same mission as you. That's beautiful. And how can we support your mission? Where would we find you so people can connect and, uh, you know, probably reach out about your service? Is it LinkedIn, so, it website, um, Instagram? Yeah, <laughs> online. <laughs> so our website, www.freetobetalks.com. And that talks with T-A-L-K-S dot com. And then you can find us on Instagram and Facebook, uh, free to be talks there as well. And we have a lot of free downloadables, a lot of free resources that you can use just if you want to test the waters out and see see what what we're able, what we're offering. And then we also write blog posts. So there's a number of places that you can you can find us. That's amazing. And don't worry, guys, I would have this as always in the bio description. So you can just click on this link directly and be connected to free to be talks um, straight away. But I want to say thank you so much, Renee, for coming. Thank you for being on the Long and Windy Road podcast and just sharing your perspective, your knowledge and wisdom with us about, um, you know, embracing our body and increasing the positivity that we have when we look at this this shell that we're in because our body truly is our home and whatever we do to take care of it matters and what we say to it matters. So thank you so much for for coming on board. I'm so grateful. Well, thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to talk with you. <laughs> thank you so much, guys, for listening. And please don't forget to go and support Renee um, and her mission and of course, just carry on, uh, you know, spreading the word and encouraging people and using all these tools that she has provided here today to encourage someone in your world that you know is going through some difficulties or struggling, uh, you know, struggling to love their body and just encourage them the best way that you can. And as she said, you know, as Renee has mentioned, remember to educate them, educate them and make sure that you have the right resources and also listening is important as well. So you can know how to support them the right way. And uh, until next time, guys, have yourself a wonderful day.